The season for 2023, the NAB AFLW competition is 10 home and aways and four weeks of finals. We're incredibly proud of the growth that we've achieved in the first six years and seven seasons of the NAB AFLW competition. And this year, we really focus on after the amount of growth that we have had over the past six years, really embedding everything, growing our fan base and continuing to have amazing on-field action. Nicole Livingston announces the 2023 AFLW fixtures. Of course, that was done yesterday. What does it mean for West Coast and Fremantle? Well, we spoke to her yesterday. We're going to talk to her again today. Code Sports Eliza Riley is uh, an AFLW guru. She plays the game and she reports on it as well. Eliza, welcome back on the show. You're making this a daily occurrence. No one plays the pocket better than you do, Eliza. That's what I've heard. I've heard you're a you're a gun in that position. <laughs> okay, so I like it. What what do you make of the fixtures for West Coast and Fremantle? Well, looking sort of at the teams they play who made the finals last year um, is where it's probably best to start. And, of course, we know that last year it expanded to an 18-team competition and eight teams qualified for the top eight, reflecting what we have um, in the men's season. And looking at West Coast fixture first, obviously they finished in the bottom four, so therefore get a bit of an easier run to reflect that. So they only play three of last year's eight finalists, which is one of the best sort of records in that sense um, out of all the teams in the competition. So only three of last year's finalists, you'd expect with the run West Coast have, they should really start to be pushing towards that bottom end of the top eight. If they um, get up to scratch with the development, we expect they will have with their sort of keeping their list together retaining 29 of 30 girls and adding Amy Franklin to their playing list. So really good news for West Coast. Um, out of the 10 games, six of them are here home in WA because the Derby will be a Fremantle home game. So as well as that, even less trouble for West Coast. So expecting the Eagles to really push for finals. But from a Fremantle point of view, we know the Dockers didn't make finals last season. They were probably one of the more disappointing teams in the comp falling from a prelim final to finishing outside the eight. And despite that, they have got a relatively hard fixture. They play five of the eight finalists from last Eliza's just dropped out there. We'll try and get her back. So... What we do know about the fixtures, obviously, is, uh, and as Eliza was telling us, um, Fremantle playing five of last year's finalists uh, in their 10 games. West Coast playing three of last year final, last year's finalists in their 10 games. Also, of course, for the two WA teams, the AFLW season will start on Sunday, September 3 with a derby at Fremantle Oval. So hopefully that will be a big one. The AFL... W clearly trying to take things back to the suburban grounds. Um, they believe that that is where the code um, is best presented at the moment. Of course, West Coast will have a um, a trip to Windy Hill, I think, uh, as part of their fixtures. So, yeah, it's an interesting one. It looks like the AFL has had a win here because the, um, the girls were pushing for a 12-match season. That hasn't happened. Um, clearly, the 
AFL still trying to establish the financial bona fides of the code. We'll take a break. We haven't been able to get Eliza back yet. And uh, give us your thoughts on the temperate bedshed text line on 0487 736 736. Does the women's season work in its current time slot? We'll be back after the break. Welcome back to the show. We've got Eliza Riley back on the line from Code Sports. Eliza, sorry about that. I had to, uh, um, we, we lost track of you halfway through that interview. So who are the teams to beat, do you think, in this AFLW season? I think when you think of the teams from last year who were probably going to be right up the top end of the ladder again, you can't go past Melbourne. Um, you know, it's the reigning premiers. They have retained the absolute majority of their playing list. You know, obviously Daisy Pearce, who's retired, she's a massive out with what she brings with her leadership and on-field skill as well. So, but she's just about the only one they've really lost. And they're getting um, a few girls back from injury as well, like the likes of Eliza McNamara, who unfortunately missed the entire season after sustaining a back injury over pre-season. So... Melbourne, really strong list. They should be right up there again. And then Adelaide as well. They obviously made a prelim last year. Didn't quite make the step into the grand final, but they've been the dominant team pretty much since the inception of the competition. So it was time for someone else to fly the flag. So I think those two at this stage stage are going to really push um, to be right up the top end again. Brisbane have lost a fair bit of debt over the off-season and may not be the team we've come to expect of them in the past few years. Whereas some of the younger sort of up-and-coming teams, like the Richmond and Geelong, they made the finals last year and didn't quite impact as we thought they would, just given it was their first time in finals and they are young list who haven't been exposed to that sort of football so you were halfway through discussing Fremantle for Frio fans uh, when we got cut off before. What do you expect from the Dockers and, and do you see them as realistic finals contenders? It's really hard to get a read on Fremantle at the moment. Um, given, you know, turnover of coach, a slight sort of adjustment to the game plan we'd expect with Liz Webb coming in and taking the helm of Fremantle. But when you look at Fremantle's top-end talent, you know, that sort of um, end of their list rivals probably most tense in the comp, especially in the midfield with the likes of Kiara Bowers, who we know is a league best and fairest. Hayley Miller as well, she's been a best and fairest winner. Those two players are just uh, two of the best midfielders in the competition. Um, but I think the area Fremantle may need to well, bolster or find some new options for is probably down in defence. Because we know they lost Janelle Custerson uh, to Port Adelaide in that um, expansion signing period. She's an All-Australian defender. It's so solid for them down there. Her body was sort of um, giving up on her in a sense that she hasn't played a whole lot of football over the past few years due to injuries. So in that respect, it's been really um, pleasing to see the development of someone like Emma Driscoll and her ability to hold down a key defensive position. But I think a new tie-up forward is, is just taking a leap each year as a player. So all the sort of ingredients are there, but whether they can bounce back into finals, it's really going to be a bit of a wait and see um, because, you know, teams, when they find form early in the season, 
uh, that you can build on it. But with a 10-week season, if you lose one or two games early, your, game, your season's just about shot. Absolutely. It makes that derby the first game, of course, on Sunday, September 3, down at Fremantle Oval. A massive game for both West Coast and Freo, doesn't it? Exactly. Just to kick off the season with a derby, you know, West Coast sort of have the opportunity to maybe catch Fremantle off guard a little bit. We know that the Eagles are young and developing, and the last time these two sides met, there was only a three-point differential, which is the closest derby we've had uh, since West Coast entered the comp in 2020. So they're absolutely desperate to get one back over the older sisters, but Fremantle are just as desperate to hold on to their rank um, in Perth. So should be an absolute belter down at Frio Oval as well. Do you like this time slot for the AFLW season as opposed to the summer time slot which was uh, previously in place? Personally, I would probably prefer to see one more August season and just how with the season unfolds now that we're rolling straight into a women's season um, and off the back of a men's season because last year in their first sort of crack at it, you remember we had the women's season in January rolling straight into a men's AFL season rolling straight into another AFLW season and I think there was a fair bit of football fatigue and you know the sort of fact that they thought fans from teams who didn't make finals in the men's would jump straight across didn't happen because it was a sort of post-footy come down when your team hasn't done that well so I think we need to see it one more time but personally I sort of am of the opinion that they had the sort of perfect spot for it in January and even though the athletes were dealing with, you know, extreme heat and conditions they were playing under, it sort of was the sort of perfect time where there was an appetite for football and people were more sort of willing to tune into women's football knowing that it was going to roll straight into a men's season and you can sort of build the height that way. You know, the, the whole sort of justification for this August slot was the sort of idea of clean air. I'm not really seeing where that has come from, given you've got a men's final series, the absolute height of that. You've got an AFL trade period, which we know has become a bit of a monster when it comes to the AFL media. So they're sort of capitalising and cannibalising their own product, um, in a sense, and that's without even looking at all the other sports that are running at that time of the year, like your WBBL, your cricket, and we've even got a Women's World Cup in Australia this year. So... The other thing, of course, is that the the girls wanted a 12-match season and they've got a 10-match season. So has the AFL had its way there? Definitely. It was a bit of a situation. The AFL forced the players into, you know, sort of hoop links first. The players were desperate to sort of expand the season um, and get more games under their belt because... You look at it, 10 games, you know, my amateur football season's longer than 10 games and we're playing amateur football. Um, so 10 games is what most players on a list will play all year. Uh, they, you know, some of them go back to the Waffle W if you're sort of younger and a bit more inexperienced. But most players only literally play 10 games of football a season. So it was sort of... Yeah, fell back to the players into a corner um, in a sense and sort of said, look, you need to justify to us why we should expand the competition and sort of put back some crowd numbers and TV attendance, um, TV figures through them back at the players. But that's a bit of a, um, you know, 
put down by the AFL because part of that is on them for not doing enough to promote their own products and encourage attendances. Eliza, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Look forward to your coverage of the AFLW in the lead-up to the season and as the season unfolds as well. Eliza Riley, she writes for Code Sports. Very good young writer. Look forward to reading more of her stuff on this upcoming AFLW season. We'll take a break and be back with Michael Barlow to talk about Fremantle after the break.